Olá pessoal, tudo bem? And welcome to the Brazil Crypto Report podcast, where we talk to the builders, the entrepreneurs, and influencers from across the Brazil crypto ecosystem. I'm your host, Aaron Stanley, today, and I'm joined by Mauricio Magalji, who's Global Strategy Director for Crypto and host of the Blockchain Insider podcast at 11FS. And he's also the host and producer of the Block Drops podcast. But before we jump in, I'd like to say a quick thank you to our partner for this episode, the HBAR Foundation. HBAR Foundation works to support growth across the Hedera Hashgraph ecosystem. If you're an entrepreneur in Brazil or the LATAM region, and you have a cool project or an idea that needs some help scaling or just getting started, I highly recommend taking a look at these guys. They have several different grant funds in operation that are seeding projects across DeFi, FinTech, NFTs, sustainability, and a whole lot more. And they've also got a whole lot of other resources to help you out in your journey. So please do head over to hbarfoundation.org to take a look and learn more. With that, I'd like to introduce my guest, Mauricio Magauji. Welcome, Mauricio. Hey, Aaron. Great to be here, man. Thanks for the invitation. I love doing podcast crossovers, and this is going to be one for the ages. Yes, this is going to be amazing. So uh, for context, so Mauricio and I are going to do this in English, and then we're going to record an edition in Portuguese, which will air on his Block Drops podcast. So Mauricio... Why don't you get us started here? Tell us a bit about what you do for 11FS and like, let's just kind of unpack your, how you got into crypto and you wear a lot of other hats as well in the kind of the Brazil crypto space. Let's unpack all that. Great. So at 11FS, I'm the global strategy director of crypto. What that means is that I help our clients into their journey into Web3, be it on a strategy level when they don't know what to do and where to go. So we prepare them to actually embrace the Web3 technologies and also unlock in their strategy what Web3 actually augments it. We do a lot of product acceleration, both in terms of research and in terms of actual design. And we have a crazy good team of engineers as well uh, that we use to deliver the products to the clients. We do that focusing on banks, fintechs, and even regulators. And we also do that for crypto natives who are trying to accelerate growth. So uh, it's, a, it's one of those things that you I don't believe I get to do this type of work, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. So that's the, the core of it. I, I also just uh, recently uh, started my hosting gig on block, uh, Blockchain Insider. Blockchain Insider is uh, probably one of the longest running podcasts about crypto. Uh, started off in 2017, uh, hosted by uh, Simon Taylor, who's also a co-founder at 11FS and one of the crypto OGs in the UK. So it's a world-class content. Um, I was a listener like early on uh, and it's a pretty amazing thing to be involved in, in this and obviously big shoes to fill. So props to uh, Simon and the team there for a really, really thick legacy on educating the market on everything that happened since 2017 because it's we're not short of stories um, since then. <laughs> the first podcast I ever appeared on as a guest actually was Blockchain Insider in, I think it was for summer of 2018, which was kind of the doldrums, <laughs> but it was, we were in a WeWork in London, I think in Aldgate or something like, maybe they're still there. I'm not sure, but we, I just, I was just sort of like one of these like right place, right time, you know, like, Hey, do you want to be a guest on this thing? Yeah. That was my first, first ever podcast. The world is small. The crypto world is even smaller, right? So it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty amazing that, uh, you know, I get to do this. So this is my kind of major gig, um, like a day-to-day -day, uh, basis. And uh, we're, we're doing projects all over the world, man. It's Europe, Asia, Middle East, Africa, Latin America. So it's a, 
it's pretty great time to be involved in building up the industry for you know very very interesting clients so yeah super lucky um i also run my own um podcast which is kind of weird if you think because it's why, why would you do two things because they're very different right um uh, blockchain side is a massive audience um block drops is a very niche and it started off as a, a, a podcast in portuguese it was i call it the first uh podcast in portuguese about blockchain for business because most of the podcasts at the time when i started like late uh, 2019 were talking about prices of crypto and you know you know chart analysis and I'm, I'm not a trader i'm engineer by training so yes i wanted to talk about use cases and stuff people were building to solve real world problems and it kind of angled to to that so it's usually the weekly um episodes are pre top of the head news that hit me the week uh, i do a little digest i try to I condense everything that's there in under five minutes and that forces me to understand what's uh, what's happening in that use case uh, and explain to people in the ways that can, they can understand. So I try to remove jargon or explain the acronyms like what is a DAO, what's an FT and stuff like that, which for us in the day-to-day -day in crypto sounds really basic, but people listening, they don't really care about that. They just want to understand what these things are doing you know, to improve uh, the world. And, and that's pretty much, I started doing that uh, on, a, on a weekly basis. Um, then I started doing interviews, which is block talks, which puts what you and I are going to do, which is block talks is just get the people who are involved in crypto to talk about what they're doing. And it's uh, one of the most fun ways for me to learn because the whole premise of the podcast is, is keeping me active and studying and in touch with the community. And I, you know, I, I, I don't think I can say this enough because it's, I've, I've been given through the podcast so much more than I can offer through it that it's it's kind of unfair, but it's my way of giving back to the community in a way. Yeah, I, I second that. There's something very like just relational about inviting somebody onto a podcast versus just calling somebody up to, to interview them for an article or something, right? I've been a journalist my whole career up until this point, and there's something that's a bit more personal about Hey, I'm calling you because I need a quote for a story versus, Hey, I'm, I want you to come on my, you know, my hour long podcast. And cause I, I really think you're interesting and I want to hear, learn more about your story. There's just kind of a different level of like connection there, I think, which is what I've enjoyed about doing podcasting so far in the maybe three months I've been doing it here. But yeah, so maybe talk a bit more about like your journey into crypto. I know you've, you have kind of an interesting, I mean, I feel like your story is a bit more unique and differentiated than maybe the average uh, crypto enthusiast who just kind of got in because saw the price increase and they kind of FOMO in and all their friends are buying it and whatever. You took kind of a, a bit of a backdoor route. Why don't you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I embrace the weird. So yeah. <laughs> um, so I've, I've been in financial services um, professionally since um, start of the century. That's, that's weird saying this. Uh, but I have over 20 years uh, in financial services, working in banks uh, from technology to operations to finance, then into like, data analytics, transformational projects, big, big efforts. And when I ran into the Bitcoin white paper in 2014, the thing was, so you're working at a bank, you can't touch these things because they are exotic. We don't know what they do. They can, can, they can contaminate all the financial services system. And, and I was like, oh, my God, this is... This is so drastic, um, but I, it kept me interested because the whole thing about 
solving the double spin problem was kind of important to me because I've been in a band uh, very sober for over uh, 25 years now. And we were hit with the Napster thing. When we launched our first CD, Napster just blew up and no label would pick us up. So that's why I finished engineering school. And that, that became the thing, like everyone can copy your digital assets. So they have no value because it's like, who's, who's going to pay for something they can get for free. So th that kind of struck a chord with me uh, on the, I think it was like summer 20, 2014. And I was like, well, this, this has implications. But obviously I was working at a bank that didn't make sense to actually use any of that at that point. Then I joined IBM halfway into 2015. And a couple of years later, I was out of a project and they had a training in San Francisco for blockchain. I was like, okay, I've heard that word before and nobody wanted to go. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing anything. I, I want to go to San Francisco. Who wouldn't want to go to San Francisco for a week uh, worth of training? So went there, took the training, met a bunch of great, a great, great people, and then came back to Brazil and was offered a role as the head of services for blockchain in Latin America. I was like, I don't know what that is, but let's, let's just do this. And, and so I started my whole relationship with blockchain in the enterprise space, which for us in crypto is like, you know, unholy grounds of sorts. Like, oh my God, you're like closed ring fence blockchain or no blockchains. Uh, and I spent a lot of time trying to convince executives over the course of two years that blockchain as a whole is a valid technology, even, even with Bitcoin. And they were, I, I don't want to touch Bitcoin. So no, 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 you don't need to. But you need to think about the implications of the technology in your business model. This is going to change the way you see value, you transact. You can't just sit still. So I left IBM later uh, and then started mentoring startups that work with blockchain in many capacities over the years uh, while I did my work in traditional banking and transformation and all of that good stuff. And then I started my podcast in 2019. Lo and behold, two years later, I get this kind of crazy offer to work with the team at 11FS and leading clients into the world of crypto, which is, you know, it, it's, it's surreal. Um, but I missed the dot-com era. I um, went into financial services and got smashed in the face with the uh, 2008, uh, 2008 crisis. Also, it's the first time I get to have relevant skill sets in a moment that is transitional and transformational to the market. And I can blend the stuff that I know with the stuff that I want to do and actually add value to me and other people. So it's just it's crazy. Well, it seems like you have the right skill set for, for what 11FS's kind of general you know, mission is. I mean, they're, they're obviously working with a lot more like enterprises and established institutions and banks and, and, and larger scale fintechs and things of that nature and kind of taking the backdoor route into crypto via the enterprise blockchain, which, I mean, that kind of makes you like a bit of a dinosaur at this point in crypto <laughs> yeah. years, but, um, but it's at least you, you have an understanding of like how these types of organizations think and how they embrace change. And I think the problem with enterprise blockchain and I don't want to get into a big screed against enterprise blockchain or anything. I'm, I'm just pro-innovation right across the board. Uh, but I, I did cover a lot of these things back in 2017, 2018, like the IBM Food Trust uh, and a lot of these things, you know, Oracle and all, all these, you know, all these big tech players were rolling out their own quote unquote blockchain systems that weren't like actually blockchain. But, but that was still back in the day when like blockchain was a vague enough thing where you could just kind of call anything a blockchain and people would you know, people would write, people would pick up your press release, you know? 
but anyway, but but like you have you have this understanding of kind of how these institutions work, right? And how they embrace change. What I was always looking for with the enterprise blockchain stuff was like, okay, it's cool that these companies are taking a look at this and they're they're investing some resources into this, et cetera, et cetera. They clearly see that there's something here they need to pay attention to. But to what extent does this actually get move outside of just the innovation lab of the company and into the actual operations of the company. And, and you know, I thought when the IBM rolled out the food trust blockchain, I mean, I remember I got the exclusive on that story actually in 2018. And I was like, oh, like, I guess there's something real here, you know, but then you kind of look under the hood a little bit and it's, it's like, well, there's just kind of this weird relationship with Walmart that they had. And Walmart was basically just forcing all of its suppliers to use this thing, which kind of doesn't exactly go along with the idea of like open and permissionless, you know, <laughs> open source. They're different ethos, I think, right? When you pick something that comes out of corporate, uh, as many of these uh, projects uh, emerged, it's a different ethos. You're, you're, not, you're not necessarily talking about permissionlessness, which is one of the pinnacles in, in crypto. And you're talking about efficiencies, which not necessarily we're solving that in crypto. They come from different places and they use the technology uh, for different purposes under a different ethos. So you can argue, I did that, I had that conversation multiple times, right? When you're talking about public uh, permissionless blockchains, you have variable gas fees or variable processing fees. In corporate, in, in enterprise, predictability is very important. And it's not so much that it's open. You can always throw a layer of privacy like we're seeing with baseline and nightfall. but predictability is important for enterprise. So it's, it's really hard for a CFO to approve something they don't know what it's going to cost. So the decision-making process in corporate kind of prevents them from openly embracing something that we, the, the gens, are so passionate about because the ethos and the angles are very different. But what I'm seeing now uh, as part of the day-to-day -day conversation with the marketplace is that that predictability might not be that important if you're solving real world problems. If you're solving access to financing, well, then maybe you can live with a little bit more volatility. It also helps that global inflation has increased over the years. So obviously that is a factor to be accounted for. If you're in an emerging market, in an emerging economy where the local fiat currency has a lot of volatility against the dollar, well, then Bitcoin doesn't seem that volatile, right? So it kind of it's easier to adopt something that is obviously benefiting you in terms of openness and usage than your money that doesn't, you know, it's not worth anything. So I think there's a lot of changes, not only in how we position the technology and the use cases, but also the surroundings have changed, right? The world is uh, more, uh, well, we're in the middle of a war. We didn't have that five years ago. So um, a war on a, on a major country, I want to say. So it's, it's, it's hard to ignore all of these external factors that obviously have uh, impact in how the rest of the world see uh, crypto. And I can assure that it helps that we're kind of, we've rebranded Web3, like crypto into Web3, and I packaged that with Metaverse and Mark Zuckerberg, you know, with the, the virtual dolls and all of that because that kind of softens the sharp edge that uh, revolutionizes uh, the world in ways that people can now, instead of getting like scared or push away at the first glance, well, 
metaverse what what the hell is that right and then you get oh but the open metaverse is embedded on blockchains oh blockchains again but what type of blockchains well the ones where you can own stuff oh i i want to know about that so the the whole discourse changes because the surroundings have changed from 2017 18 to now but also because we as a movement or as an industry we're finding ways to speak to these people in ways that don't scare everybody yeah, and I, th I think crypto just generally is, uh, or, or kind of the open permissionless Web3 universe, if we want to speak about it more broadly, has just got to the point where it can't be ignored anymore, right? Like you can't just dismiss it as, you know, back five years ago, you could just dismiss it as this, you know, whatever, maybe it's a fad, we're just going to kind of watch and see what happens. And, and, and if you're a corporate innovation department, you know, you can, you can take a risk on like, okay, you, you know, we'll, we'll go down the kind of the blockchain, not Bitcoin route and be like, okay, this is interesting, but we just don't like the whole cryptocurrency thing, but we like the blockchain. I think there's something here. We'll kind of, we'll put a little bet on this. And if it blows up, great. If it doesn't, then, you know, we're not really losing anything. So they can, it's easy to hedge, right? But now it's at the point where everybody has to, if you're not, if you don't have a strategy of some sort around this, like you're, you're just going to get wiped out at this point, right? I think that's, that's yeah. undeniable at this stage. So I mean, how else have you kind of seen, you know, in your role at 11FS now, I mean, with these institutions you're dealing with, like, I'm just kind of curious, like, how else is that maybe impacting the thinking of these folks who are, you know, maybe five years ago, we're just like, we're not touching this stuff. No, but that, that, was the, that was the exact conversation. Even if you've talked about enterprise blockchain, enterprise blockchain wasn't seen as a technology, it was seen as a version of Bitcoin or a version of Ethereum that we can't touch. But what's changing as, as we're talking about scenarios uh, financial institutions are getting asked about their, you know, about this uh, by their clients. Like, I want to have exposure to these things, right? If if we can hedge some of this, I want to have exposure to this, even as an asset class, which is an unthinkable discussion to be had in 2014. Is now something that even BlackRock is having to deal with, right? The largest AUM in the world now has to respond to their customer base. Hey, what are guys going to do about crypto? We're going to have exposure to that because there's real upside. Right, so I think this kind of conversation with a client that is trying to understand where to play and how to win this new space is really important. Because I think when institutions start to force regulators to think about how these things need to play out into the real world, then it becomes like serious. It becomes adult conversation in all seriousness, how to prevent systemic risk, how to make this more accessible to people how to improve the lives of the people in the emerging markets. So this is the type of discussion. And, and, and that's where I think the crypto ethos of openness and permissionlessness and um, access is going to force a different result. You cannot apply a Web2 framework in a Web3 mindset. It's not going to play out. It's, it's, it's completely different. For this to work, and we all want this to work, the conversation is going to have to change. And, and I think uh, there's a lot of great minds coming in already existing in crypto. I mean, if you single out um, Vitalik, I mean, how many brains does this guy have, right? Um, but if you think that the, the number of big, beautiful brains in crypto that are thinking about a new type of society or a new type of economy, and the, the brains that are actually flying from Web2 into crypto, um, it's, it's a different discourse. It's a different conversation. And the quality of the conversation is improving rapidly as well.
Yeah, that's the main reason I'm so bullish on crypto and Web3 when people ask me about this is it's like, look, like the smartest people, I mean, there's just a massive brain drain from you know every other industry going into this, right? And it, it, the smartest people I've met in my entire life are all in this industry, right? Or they're coming into this industry. So that's, if I mean, that's reason enough for me to just to say, look, like, this is going to happen. I mean, yeah, there's going to be some hiccups and roadblocks and whatever stumbling blocks along the way, but this is going to happen. That's, that's what's kind of the fun thing to see as well, because it validates, validates kind of the thesis I set out for my career, you know, five, six years ago, where it's like, I think this is, I think there's something here, you know, I, I should probably, and, you know, I'm glad I didn't bet on the wrong thing, you know, <laughs> glad. but, uh, but, you know, the, the cool thing about crypto is you can always kind of reinvent yourself or, you know, pivot, as, you know, whichever way that things are going, I guess. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a bit more about the Brazil market specifically. You're obviously, you've got your own podcast that, uh, that you do in, in port, you, you do it in both Portuguese and English language. Uh, so you're capturing kind of a, you know, a mix of, of different audiences there. Uh, you advise a few different startups. Uh, you play in a heavy metal band. Um, you know, you do a bunch of other, and you're, you're also helping out with this blockchain Rio festival that's upcoming, right? Yep. Yep. Um, I'd love to kind of get, you know, just learn a bit more about what your kind of activities are on a day-to-day basis or what hats you wear in, in the Brazil market specifically. And then I'd like to talk a bit about just, you know, some of your observations, uh, in the market, obviously lots of busy, busy year this year for the Brazil crypto scene, but yeah, I would love to learn a bit more about kind of the different hats you wear in the Brazil ecosystem right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first one is the podcast, right? It's something that I kind of started for myself and then became this thing that people know me for, which is really weird, to be honest. I think that with the kind of normalcy coming back and people being able to go to the events, I think the the whole entrepreneurial spirit of the Brazilian around crypto has sort of come come back a little bit. And we're seeing new projects emerge and new DAOs and... Um, there is a like this overall sense of abundance, which is kind of amazing if you think about Brazil as a country. So in the crypto environment, what we're seeing is that there's, yes, there's money. There is uh, risk money to be, um, um, to fund the, the, the projects. But there's also a lot of projects that are very interesting in the scene and resolving like problems. It's not just crypto for crypto. It's like, there's DAOs that are resolving how to uh, trace donation. There, there's uh, projects that are doing um, uh, the music royalties lifecycle and benefit of the artists. There's projects that are doing um, managing um, intellectual property on NFTs. There's like even um, projects that are facilitating how people interact with DeFi, which is which is non-trivial. And 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 there's projects doing this. So I think that the, the overall sentiment that at least I have from the recent months is that there is a lot of activity, positiveness, and this overall sense of abundance. And in this context, I think these events like the Ethereum Real was a very successful event. I had um, I had the pleasure of you know being there covering for the podcast, also um, taking some of my clients there to you know bridge me into the scene. Um, Ethereum Sao Paulo is coming up. Uh, I had Connor Brady, uh, the organizer from the Ethereum events, uh, over on my podcast, and he's like breaking out. That's Ethereum Sao Paulo is happening in September, um, and we're gonna have Blockchain Rio Festival in September as well in Rio for a day festival. The goal is to be you know as big as we can, bringing everyone from crypto nerds, um, the gens, and uh, authorities, and 
government people and the academia. We're, we're partnering with a bunch of uh, universities because at this point where we are, education is crucial. Like if, if this is going to become serious, we need to educate everyone, the future builders and the future and present users of all of this that we're building because that's how we bring pe more people on board. Um, so builders are going to be there as well. There's going to be music all, all over the place. Um, NFT scenes, uh, super, super interesting in terms of artists in Brazil. So it, it's very much intense at this point. And I think that the uh, on-site, the in-person events are going to capture this uh, in ways that, you know, in the past two years we were not able to, and maybe sort of condense and crystallize this into a more sort of actual community, not just the projects, not just some entrepreneurs or some VCs involved, but also the people, like having a community, having someone to that you can lean on or, or refer to. So I personally, the way I see my role is connecting people. I mean, people call me up, hey, Mauricio, I'm doing this project. You want to take a look? And then I'll go take a look and say, hey, I know a guy who would be great for you. And then, you know, make the connections if they don't already know each other. And maybe they already know each other, but they don't know how, how well they fit together. And maybe that's something that, uh, that would work. So, yeah, I, um, I just love the, the whole uh, people part of this, of this thing. And, and probably that, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to start my own podcast, like back in 19, is to not, you know, not to lose touch with the community because I made super great friends and uh, they're all incredible people that I wanted to be around. And uh, yeah, two years later, I'm, I'm around which is, you know, it's too crazy. Well, congratulations. You survived uh, the bear market and COVID. So that's, that's <laughs> impressive. Uh, just out of curiosity, um, what was the Brazil crypto events conferences scene like pre-COVID? Uh, so I was not really around back then, um, but it's really encouraging to see that that there's some conferences finally kicking into high gear now. There, there was E3O, which was successful, which I could not go to, unfortunately. Uh, but there's Blockchain Rio that you're involved with. There's East Sao Paulo. Uh, there's another one coming up in that I've, I think that Dream Factory is, is helping to put on in Rio. And oh, we, we just we just had BitConf in Sao Paulo yeah, as well. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, there's a lot of these things that are popping up now. I mean, obviously there's this, this pent up demand for, for, you know, I mean, crypto people and, and Bitcoiners love meeting in person and going to conferences and it's this kind of this lifestyle, right? So there's obviously a big pent up demand there, but so it's encouraging to see that this is all coming back and it seems, and it feels like there's, there's a lot of demand for this. I'm just kind of curious as to what it was like, you know, pre-COVID. Well, I remember like by the end of 2017, it was my first year running um, my job at, at IBM with blockchain. And it was like, um, I think the assessment that year was uh, the event promoters were the only ones making money on blockchain that year because there were so many and they were so crowded and nobody knew what exactly these things were in like 17 because remember when the ICO bubble burst by the end of the year, people were rallying to you know be in conferences and pitching their projects and then raising funds. So there were a lot of events and they were all um, part educational part fundraising type stuff. Um, Ruben's nice thing, uh, who's with us on the Blockchain Video Festival, also runs um, um, his own um, set of events. And he's, he's one of the OGs, like he's, he's in crypto like since 2013. And he's, he's run multiple events across the years. 
and that's when I met him when he was organizing Blockmasters, which was one of one of his uh, um, flagship events. And there was always a lot of debate in terms of, and, and it was interesting because we didn't see um, authorities or regulators in these events. It was all industry people, um, some people from from enterprises, but a lot of industry people like crypto natives. Um, the questions were very interesting at that point um, in terms of um, how pure is your um, your intentions to this. I was on IBM and I was like being asked, so how how pure is your intention? <laughs> like, I'm not going to marry you, dude. Come on. <laughs> but it was interesting because there was a, a lot of great questions. And I'm, and I'm a true believer that curiosity and skepticism together uh, make for a very uh, investigative mind. And um, yeah, it, but it was really intense as well and a lot of learning i mean people were learning how to run events obviously uh, but they were also learning you know what what crypto meant and obviously um altcoin seasons and everybody's shilling their bags and all of that that was kind of you know scary for some time but the good thing is that the community was kind of brewing uh at that point um uh, between 17 and 19 obviously in um nine you know 18 19 after the you know the ico bubble and then some of the bear market there was less uh, interest in, in hosting massive events because there was less money as well. But interestingly enough, those were the years where the major uh, crypto exchanges in Brazil kind of you know, got, got established, like Foxbit and Mercado Bitcoin. Uh, those were the names that were kind of uh, emerging and, and obviously uh, um, making a name for themselves throughout those, uh, those periods. So interesting to see uh, how long we came from that uh, year where only only we had we, we only had um, events and not much action. Yeah, I mean it was definitely a lucrative time for for event organizers in like 2017, you know, early 2018 season, right? Where you could, you know, it was there was a new like ICO conference every week. It felt like uh, at least in in the U.S. anyway. Um, and yeah, but a lot of those, so many of those things just disappeared as quick as they spun up too, right? And that was. That was that was it was a little shocking. We're like, whoa, like, what what did we just unleash here? Um, but it, I wanted to, to shift slightly just to talk, get your thoughts on a bit more of the uh, the Brazil market. And there's been a lot of developments recently. Um, you know, Binance is obviously making you know just is just really just killing it in the country in terms of trading volumes and uh, CZ's publicity tour, et cetera. And then uh, you know there, we had a, a we have. I think most importantly, probably right now, is this is this uh, regulate this bill this this that's that has passed the Senate that is due to be voted on by the Chamber of Deputies here uh, sometime in the next month two months, um, and it looks like it's going to pass. It looks I mean, the industry has kind of you know come out in favor like in support of this, but I but now the ship has kind of sailed. Where if you're opposed to it, like it's kind of too late. You can't really like you have to kind of come out and and just and and sort of. Uh, praise the bill because it's it's you don't want to be you know on record as being an opponent I guess once it of something that's certain to pass but um, I want to get your thoughts on this on this legislation and and my take is has been with with a lot of legislation I mean in, in any sector industry country wherever Dale's you know it's always a balance of okay the you know the, the larger well-financed interests that have that can hire teams of lobbyists and government affairs people and lawyers to help draft the legislation, they're obviously going to be drafting this that in a way that supports 
those players that are larger and, you know, they kind of want to kick away the ladder a little bit, isolate themselves from competition, et cetera, et cetera. Happens all the time, right? You know, you obviously work with a lot of different startups. I think you have a different kind of point of view on some of these things. So I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, how is, if this, right, if this legislation passes, like, what does this, this mean for, for the, for the industry? So just to get it out of the way, um, I believe that we need to be, there's, there's gotta be regulation. Like I come from financial services background and I, I work closely with regulators uh, in my banking years and also while I was with IBM. So it's, to me, it's clear that there's gotta be safeguards and protections and guardrails and clear understanding of how an industry operates. That's level playing field. Everybody knows the rules. So that is critically important for an industry to mature 100%. As you said, no bill is perfect. And especially a bill for something that's so novel like crypto will not be, and, and that's fine. What I take, especially from the builders that I either mentor or that I have, I'm friends with, is that there is a concern that this bill coming out the way it's written is going to choke some of the innovation that we're seeing in Brazil. And that is a risk that's not only for Brazil, and I've been um, working in other jurisdictions as well. And what I'm seeing is that nobody has yet nailed it, the balance between control and openness. And that's why I feel that the old Web 2 frameworks are not going to work in Web 3. The laws, the rules and regulations need to be thought in the perspective of everything that we're unlocking with Web3 technology. Ownership, permissionlessness, um, programmability, composability, and decentralization. Which means that you cannot just rule on your own geographical jurisdiction space. You need to collaborate with regulators across the globe because this thing is 24-7 global, digital. Depending on the blockchain, it doesn't stop. So how do you how do you actually embrace that as a regulator? It's a really tough job. I mean, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from, from the industry from pushing this everywhere. Like we're seeing this in Europe, we're seeing this in the UK, in the US, and we're seeing this in Brazil and many other places. Um, but it's a tough job for a regulator that was used to regulate something that is mostly static, like the financial services industry, which is kind of, don't do this, do this, do that, and don't do that. Well, now everything happens near real time. So the, the timeliness to actually act when things get weird is not 60 days or 45 days or 90 days. It's pretty much on the spot or even preemptive to this. So um, while I think this is going to give clarity to the big players like Mercado Bitcoin, Foxbit, Binance, Coinbase, um, Crypto.com, all the all the all the gringo um, exchanges that are coming into the country uh, now have a kind of level set playing field. I I still don't know how well the builders and entrepreneurs in crypto are going to be impacted by this because it seems um, overly strict for the builders side of things while it gives clarity to the big players that operate in the crypto exchange space, which is, I mean, we, we can all agree that this was lacking, right? But how this impacts the small, the small guy, uh, I think 
there is this sort of sentiment that this is this hasn't been thought through mm. and maybe maybe this is the f- first iteration and if we see that this is not actually helping um, the entrepreneurial spirit of the builders there's two things that could happen one is that this is going to choke innovation in brazil and everyone is going to just stop and go to work for an exchange or they're going to get their beautiful computers and move out of the country in a friendlier jurisdiction that enables them to be the builders that they want to be. So, um, and that creates one thing that regulators dread the most, which is uh, regulatory arbitrage. Uh, that's why I think regulators need to work globally to understand what's the new framework, what are the new paradigms that we can apply to this new industry because applying old paradigms into this new framework certainly is not going uh, it's not going to work. What uh, pillars or portions of the legislation specifically do you think would have the biggest, you know, sort of choking impact on an entrepreneur or on a small startup? Is it the the registration and the licensing requirements, or is there maybe um, is it some of like the AML? I mean, you know, the, some of these travel rule like FATF compliance guidelines and things of that nature that seem fairly kind of boilerplate globally at this point. But yeah, it would be good to get some additional color on like what parts specifically are the are the points. I think the whole the whole registration um, that you're seeing anyone who who touches in a way the digital assets um, have to register. This is already an additional sort of um, regulatory observance cost that startups currently don't have, and they have to cater to that. So every dollar that goes into legal registration, regulatory observance of some kind, or reporting, or whatever have you is a dollar less spent in product development in, 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 in even audit or security or user experience or even um, marketing or education. So I think at this stage in the industry, if you treat every, everyone alike, the big international um, exchanges and the entrepreneurs were trying to do some things much better than these big ones are doing, in a specific niche of the space, be it a DeFi or a staking, or even um, some form of um, online uh, gambling or, or uh, prediction markets, all of these, uh, if, if, we, if we say that everyone is the same and they have to register, so all of that money that the big ones can afford, the smaller ones are going to have to move from somewhere to, to, to do that. And that's, that's why I think when I say chokes, it's not necessarily that it prevents them from existing, but it makes their existence uh, more expensive. And obviously the final product that they're building, uh, maybe not as good or maybe not as fast as it could be because now they're spending money uh, with, uh, you know, kind of side quests uh, in, the, in the regulatory space. So, um, and, I, and I would hope that the, the, the regulators, once this gets approved and then gets implemented as a rule, uh, would add the nuance that's necessary because uh, even in banking, right? Banking has um, different gradings for banks, banks of different sizes. Um, so there's a regulatory observance of many kinds that uh, a Itaú needs to attend to that a smaller bank doesn't. Uh, and the same thing for fintechs. Some of, some of the fintechs in Brazil don't abide to the same uh, regulatory framework um, that the banks do because they have less um, requirements. So I think that's also something sound to be seen as part of the, the crypto regulatory um, environment, but still not quite there in terms of once that that's defined, if you're sitting on the sidelines as a regulator uh, telling people what to do and what not to do, 
you're not actually participating in crypto. You're just, just on the sidelines. And that's a big change in terms of how I see uh, regulators uh, moving forward because if you're not sitting on chain with everybody else, you're not benefiting from the data that's there and you cannot prevent systemic risks by just watching it. So essentially what you're saying is the, the licensing uh, requirements and the registration requirements in the legislation are basically treats any business that touches crypto, whether you are Mercado Bitcoin or the, you know, a multi-billion dollar exchange, or if you're a small bootstrapping startup, like you're all subject to the same licensing requirements. You need to obtain this license from presumably what would be the central bank, which will be the regulator that is assigned to oversee crypto. But basically, like it's the same requirements for for any type of company. Essentially, I think any rational person, you know, can understand that. Okay, if you're a, a bootstrapping startup, and all of a sudden fifty percent of your uh, expenses are now on compliance, you're probably going to start looking for an alternative. Like either either shut down or you go somewhere else, right? I, I mean, I think what you're saying here is pretty important, and it's it's and and, and it seems like there is precedent in other industries, like other you know the fintechs and the banks and and. And, and I know there's, you know, the, the CVM has, has a, a regulatory sandbox. The central bank also has its own uh, different sandbox programs. So maybe there's areas, there's ways to some, sort of mitigate some of this. If I understand what you're saying correctly here, it's like these things haven't not really been thought through or taken into consideration as of yet. Not in the writing of the laws, but I'm hoping that in the implementation of the rules and regulations, those things will be taken into account because... I mean, it's a central bank, right? We, we have, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I don't say this uh, sarcastic or irony, I, I think we have one of the most competent central banks in the world. And I've worked with other central banks across the region and this, the Brazilian central bank is super respected, uh, you know, abroad and a bigger contributor in most of the critical discussions. When it comes to time to actually implement these rules and regulations, I'm confident that there is going to be uh, some form of uh, a gradient or, or grading as to, you know, who needs to abide to these things? Obviously, the big ones are no questions. What if I'm just bootstrapping, right? Do I, am I, am I that important? Um, and, and as you say about the uh, sandboxes, they're also limited because regulators don't have um, endless resources to cater to everyone that's trying to enter the sandbox. So right. there's also limit, limited cohorts there. So um, having a more general rule that puts everybody at ease as to what are the, the, you know, the, the ground rules is important, but again, um, you're, you're, you're going to have to play by the, maybe the size or the, the type of product they're trying to build. There's a, there's a lot of nuance there that needs to be taken into account. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I agree with your sentiment about the central bank as well, where if you look at, I mean, on one hand, Brazil is, is not exactly known as this uh, you know, bastion of, of bureaucratic efficiency, right? But, but the central bank is a bit of an outlier in the sense where they've, they've been able to innovate New pro like PIX, uh, Digital Real, like their 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 approach to developing the Digital Real uh, is even. I'm, I'm personally not a big proponent of CBDCs, but they're I have to give them credit for what they've done with the Digital Real uh, development and how that's going into that. You know, it's impressive, right? Like they're they're doing a really amazing job, and they clearly understand how this stuff works, and they've and they've just been very pro innovation, even you know with their open finance, open banking initiatives and picks and, 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 and supporting fintechs in the country and things of that nature. So there's, it seems like, okay, they should, they should be able to get the joke here that if they're forcing, you know, my tiny little startup of three people who's trying to spin up a DeFi prediction market to, to subject me to the same requirements as Mercado Bitcoin, a multi-billion dollar exchange, 
like that that just makes no sense right I, I mean presumably that they would they would understand that and they would be able to accommodate that but but you're right like there's the devil in the details component of these of how these the, these rules get implemented and how these there's still a long game to go here it, just getting this legislation passed is just the first and I, and I'm and I'm sure that as we evolve with this we'll identify places where this was overly strict and we'll need to adjust and maybe some things that were lacking that we need to add to this because there's still lack of clarity in some of the points, then real world is really different. When you're thinking about a law as a process, but when, you know, there's the whole thing about loopholes, right? That there are loopholes. And if someone finds a loophole, what are you going to do? Just sit still? No, you have to do something about it. But again, to, to your earlier point, it's, it's an impressive evolution of maturity in a market um, that is, you know, far from small, far from less important. And it's it's good to see that there is uh, seriousness um, in in going about doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for your time, Mauricio. This has been great, super fun catching up with you again here. And uh, we're going to continue this podcast interview on Mauricio's channel uh, in Portuguese. So I would encourage everyone to go check that out as well. It's going to be awesome. Uh, it might be a bit rough, but it's going to be awesome. So <laughs> we'll make it happen. Thanks so much for your time, Mauricio. Thanks. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, let's, let's jump to the other channel. Stay weird. I will stay weird. Absolutely. So are you going to change your LF now that uh, given what happened to Luna, uh, Terra Luna? It, no, this is pre Luna, dude. I, I, you know, they, they can, they can do whatever. <laughs> so LFG um, is kind of a, it's like a four letter word. I, yeah, I know. I know. I know. But yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it is what it is. They, they uh, kind of took hostage the acronym, but uh, you know, it's it's very likely that they're gonna fade in LFG. Okay, so fair enough. Fair stick enough. to it. Anyway, thanks so much for your time. Always good chatting. Thank you, man. Take care. Obrigado, everyone, and thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the Brazil Crypto Report newsletter on Substack if you haven't already, and please do give the show a five star rating on your podcast app if you enjoyed this content. We'll be back soon with another great guest.